What do you say? It's Reg Clay and it's the day. Reg Clay. Norman G. We're talking about life in the theater and the theater of life. This is, we're doing this on Monday. We're doing this on Monday because, uh, Norm, you're heading out. You're uh, leaving this weekend, right? I got a big family event this weekend. It looks like it's going to be more than one. It's funny, Mother's Day just passed, right? Mm-hmm. My sister-in-law is able to look at five generations of family. So they, she and my brother hosted an event for Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think, her. well, I know her mother's passed, but, um, you know, somebody of that generation came, mm-hmm. her, her children, her grandchildren, and now one of the younger girls, or two of the younger, two of the grandchildren, I think, have uh, babies now. So great-grandchildren. Wow. So that's a Mother's Day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Five yeah, generations right. in the same room. That's pretty impressive. So how was, uh, how, how did you spend, how did you spend Mother's Day with um with Mara and uh, how did that go yesterday? Uh, well, her mother lives in the area, so we we make sure that we have a little brunch with her. Mm-hmm. And last year we had gone to the Richmond Marina. Oh, nice! So we had our brunch and then we got to walk the marina. She just thought you were telling me about the wonderful. brunch, so she enjoyed it. The uh, the mother, the brunch, the brunch was okay. Okay, it, it was a little heavy, honestly. Mm-hmm. But um, and I think we all felt that way. Well, yeah. the boy didn't say anything. The boy inhaled what he had. He was happy. <laughs> okay, but um, and then we had our little walk, and it was a nice little walk. It was a little breezy, but the marina is beautiful, mm-hmm. and it gave. We just kind of naturally paired. So at one point, she and I were walking. At one point, she and Mara were walking. And at one point, she and her grandson were walking. Mm-hmm. So it was a nice mix. And when, then we got to do that. Then I we had had an evening. Mara had a gig one night. And I said, hey, uh, you want to play miniature golf? And he said, what? I said, do you want to go play miniature golf? And he's like, now? I said, we could, but we need to do it soon. We didn't get it done that night. So he mentions it to his mom. So after our brunch, we went and we played miniature golf. Mm-hmm. And, you know, since it's Mother's Day, it's not a surprise that mom won. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys let her win, right? Win, well, right? between them, they decided to have a bet. He he decided to challenge her and they had a bet. So mm-hmm. between the two of them, I actually somehow just sort of flew through the game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I And I won. But between the two of them, she won. Oh, nice. By one point. By one point. Hey, that's those are all the best victories. But he he had a great time. She mm-hmm. had a good time. She's yeah. very she can be very competitive. That she way. won and the Warriors won. Hey. <laughs> so yeah, it, it ended up being beautiful. It was a beautiful. Yeah, day. yeah. I um well you know I talked to mom and uh, wished her happy Mother's Day and uh, like I said she uh, got her my my mom is in Virginia so uh, I sent um chocolates i guess she's getting an infection when i when i send her flowers uh, mm. i uh, i guess her allergies get get to oh, her no. mm-hmm. but in any case she had a wonderful mother's day and uh, i um it was theater filled this weekend for me uh so i had the massive cutie cute tech right uh for my show the chain which will be playing once again uh this saturday the i believe it's the 20th it is the uh the 20th mm-hmm. the 22nd and the 23rd and uh, that'll be at the Ashby Stage. It's the Musical Cafe. There are four shows. Auditing for Beginners. No, Adulting for Beginners. Backstage, Pygmalion. And The Chain. So, yes, yeah, so we had our massive uh, tech. And th- th- what's interesting is we have a half hour to do our thing. And we have to immediately get off the stage. It mm-hmm. reminds me a lot of, uh, have you ever done the Fringe Festival? 
Do you ever do that even once? They have it at the exit theater where basically new budding playwrights. Oh, I know. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm aware of it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, and it's, you get in, set up, do your thing, and then quickly get off the stage so that other, everyone can, can set up. So it's, it could be can uh, a madhouse. Yeah. And for and I'm dealing with some folks who are not really theater folks. They haven't mm-hmm. done it they in a long, long time. Yeah. So, of course, I was a longtime stage manager before I jumped back into acting. Mm-hmm. So a part of my mind was like, hurry up. You got to set up props. You got to do this. You got to do I mean, that's how my mind works. Right. And I'm looking at people like, folks are not ready for mm-hmm. the next scene they're not setting up and i'm like okay what whatever i, I right. just gotta shut yeah, up yeah you can't, can't take responsibility <laughs> for what is not yours right exactly so that was saturday and then sunday i went to the town hall uh, theater to audition for um civil war christmas mm-hmm. and boy the town hall theater is just a beautiful beautiful theater have you been there it's over a hundred yeah. years oh, yeah. old yeah and um I saw a picture of Lamont. You know Lamont Rigel, right? He's no. he, he was a black actor. He's no longer in the Bay Area. He's one of those guys who he turned equity and landed a bunch of roles, very popular. And then he ventured on to uh, do other things. I'm not sure where Lamont is right now. I have to hit him up on Facebook. Mm-hmm. But in any case, I went into the town hall, and apparently they had posters for other things they've done. And one was Angels in America, and I saw his picture. I was like, oh, there he is. Wow, so nice. it's a small world. The theater mm-hmm. world is a small world. And I saw a picture of you. Remember I uh, went into the cafe? Oh, right, yes. Right, exactly. So it was funny, a painting, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, And it wasn't a nude painting, so. No, it was clothed. I, and it took me a minute, but it's up the street from... Um from the College of Arts and Crafts, California College of Art. It used to be the California College of Arts and Crafts. Now mm-hmm. it's just for their um, centennial. They changed the name. They uh. dropped crafts off of it. Mm-hmm. So now they're just CCA. Oh, okay. Um, and it's right up the street from there. So I, I imagine that's just yeah. some student work. Yeah. From there. Yeah. No, it was it, and it was nice. It was you know it was, it was a good portrayal. I was like I know that I know that guy. <laughs> now funny thing for me is mm-hmm. this weekend um, I went to an audition down in the South Bay mm-hmm. and. Um, a friend, old, you know, colleague, uh, mm-hmm. got in touch with me. Somebody I know from just after college mm-hmm. um, got in touch with me and asked me if she could get a ride with me. Mm. So we got to catch up, and it's been a while. She's mm-hmm. married. She's got a 15-year-old son. You know what? You 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 told us last week you love giving carpools, so I know. The carpool, <laughs> it, it was so funny, too, that she just... She looked on the list, said, oh, I know these people. And she just went down the list. And, yeah. you know, before she got far, she got to me. And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. So not only did we talk about catching up personally, mm-hmm. but we also talked about career. Because when she, so she got married and very quickly got pregnant mm-hmm. and was suddenly raising a child. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this, that, and the other things sort of took her away from the stage. She mm-hmm. was still engaged with theater. She was actually teaching for a while, but she wasn't acting, at least not as much. And she has recommitted and got, she's getting herself out there. And so we had some wonderful conversations about that. I'm nice. sure I'll hit on some of that. Mm-hmm. But it made me feel, I find that, and she actually said a similar thing, I find I don't spend as much time worrying about what the actual audition piece is. I have monologues that I've done for a long time. I can pick up a new monologue and... Within a week or so, I can craft, you know, I can do a fairly good job of polishing. Um, So it's not the monologue that is worrying me. It's where am I going? Who am I going to see? What's it like? So this was a little, and it's funny, I don't think the casting people often think about this, Mm -hmm. but 
what is the situation that you're inviting your auditioners into? Mm-hmm. Um, so this was, uh, they normally use another space. That space was booked, so they were able to book a small community room mm-hmm. in a complex. So, one, you're pulling up into this neighborhood going, uh-oh, is this right? I don't see a theater. What's going on? Mm-hmm. Then you navigate your way into the complex, and you find where it is. Well, it's next to a nice little park, shaded, and it's in this little community room. Very echoey. Mm. Now, fortunately, the woman I went with, um, she echoed, uh, she echoed, the woman I went with um, went before me, and she said, oh, that room has got a lot of reverberation, you should... You know, just know that. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad she told me. Because if I got in there with, you know, especially for Shakespeare, if it's going to be outdoor Shakespeare, you want to make sure that you show them that you've got this instrument that you can really make some sound, you mm-hmm. can produce some sound. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, in a room like that, man, it would it would really shock mm-hmm. you to have your voice just bouncing back at you. Yeah. So instead, I was able to modulate mm-hmm. and really had a good time. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So I enjoyed the experience. I enjoyed writing down with her. Do they let you... Because one thing that I did at the town hall, and I, I, I found... I've, I don't know. It's, it's not something that I've planned to do, but I always go early, really, really early mm-hmm. so that I can get acclimated to the space. Mm. Um, do, do they let you do that? Because a, a lot idea. of times they don't. They couldn't in this space because okay. it was just uh, one person inside... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, checking it out. So they were just trying to get people in and out. Okay. And so that was a little disorienting because mm-hmm. you're not in that space. You yeah. Know? There's not even a waiting room or anything. At least mm-hmm. there was the nice little park and I took advantage of it. I walked over under the trees and I was able to do a little vocal warm up mm-hmm. and, and get out, get ready. Yeah. I feel the exact same way that she does. I don't worry so much about monologues. It's... um. Of course, I have a monologue in place, and let's say if I'm working on a new monologue, if I have it really in my bones, if, right. I, if I've nailed it, then it's really about who am I connecting with, yes. um, also what the play is about, and to get a sense of who, who they're looking for or what they're looking for, mm-hmm. and me just showcasing it. Like right. and when I did this audition uh, this Sunday, really, I did a cold read, and they wanted me to sing a, a gospel, because mm-hmm. it's, a, it's based in the Civil War, and they're having some like... Um, uh, scripture or spirituals, spirituals, yeah, from the the nineteenth century. Mm. And luckily, I was sort of raised on Sam Cooke and the Soulsters, so sure. I, I had a ton of stuff to pull up, and I just did my thing, and I was really, really relaxed. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Hey, I'm just going to nail this thing." And you're absolutely right; it's not so much about the uh, the monologue. Um, of course, you want to make sure you have your beats and you right. have it right. You don't want to paraphrase Shakespeare, you know, right, God exactly. forbid. But they want to know your presence, just. Right. Be present and be succinct. There was one time where I sort of stumbled and I was like, you know what? Let me take this over again. Mm-hmm. Just right. to show how relaxed I am. I'm not going to get frazzled. Cease it's, the it's sage. It's such a good thing to do. Let me, excuse me, can I take that again? You know, let just take that moment. It's it's so smart. Exactly. And then really take the moment, take mm-hmm. a breath and let go of what just happened and get <laughs> mm-hmm. back to where you were aiming in yeah. the first place. Because I remember being a young actor, how nervous I was. And sometimes your nerves just take oh, over. I still am. And it sort of ruins a good audition. I've had some friends say, oh, my God, I wish I didn't have to do auditions. I wish I could just do cold reads um, because that showcases what I can do so much better than an audition. I'm Reginald Clay and I'm going to do... You know, mm-hmm. Polonius from Hamlet. Right. Uh, and then blah, 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 blah. 
Um, I, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I understand how nervousness can sort of knock you off of your game. And as we get older, we're not so nervous anymore. I'm like, hey, you yeah. either like me or you don't like me. Well, yeah, and that's, uh, you know, little things didn't think about. I walk up as we were parking. Mm-hmm. I saw a big black man walking mm. over there, and I was like, okay, I don't know this area, this neighborhood, <laughs> but I bet there's a good chance he's heading Competition. In <laughs> so sure enough, he goes in, he auditions, he comes out, and he's friendly, very mm-hmm. friendly about it. And I'm looking at him, he's a big black man. Now, if they have a black man slot, we're in competition. But if they're looking for type, body type, we're so not in competition. We're not the same body type at all. And I'm like, you know, I can't read their minds. I don't know what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Now, if they're calling me in for a specific role, and I think he might be reading for that same role, then I need to factor in what do I think they just saw from him and take that information in. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the worst thing is to start worrying mm-hmm. about stuff you have no control over. Exactly. Just nail your thing. The most important thing to worry about is how relaxed I am and did I give them my all? Because mm-hmm. the worst thing is to not get into a play because they didn't see your all. Right. Um, because right. You, you only have yourself to look at. I mean, right. And of course, don't beat yourself up, but just realize you're the only one stopping yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, all you can do is just show how what you can do of course do your vocal exercises do your resonators do your articulators Mm -hmm. and make sure they're seeing all of you right yeah well or the other thing i know for me that comes up is i get blinders on Mm -hmm. this is what i'm doing with this monologue this is what this character is about this is all that and then i get in the space it's not necessarily what i was expecting and suddenly i get thrown off my game Mm -hmm. and to recognize wait a minute so let me adapt to this space what i'm doing and then let me be flexible enough to see if i can use the space and you know one of the things that's always a challenge and i know people i've heard people discuss this casting people whether they want you to focus in their direction or focus off Mm -hmm. and i think every actor has to make that choice for themselves and each monologue has its own needs. Sometimes it's very much a conversation you're having mm-hmm. with somebody here, mm-hmm. and that should be as if they're the spectator. Sometimes you want to throw it in their direction because it's a very targeted piece and you want that energy. It's funny. I, I just thought about an uh, acting teacher, Alan Langdon from NYU, mm-hmm. and he would distract you when you're doing a monologue uh, or, he, or when you're yeah. doing a dialogue. And... Of course, some students would be like, okay, I, I messed up my line because you were messing, you know, whatever. Right. And he was like, listen, this is what life is all about. Mm-hmm. You may be doing a, a dialogue. Uh, the character is you and your girlfriend or your wife and you're having a fight. Right. Just because somebody in the audience is distracting you. Well, that happens in life. It could right. be your son. It could be outside and there's a maitre d' or whatever. Right. If you know, and usually it exposes the fact that you don't know your lines or you're not confident. Or you're not confident your about script. what you're doing. Exactly. Yeah. Because when I'm totally confident in what I'm doing, if I know my lines down straight, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what. As a matter of fact, I'll use what's going on. If someone's right. moving things around or whatever, mm-hmm. I can talk to them. I can absorb that. And um, so talking about using the space. Right. That's a very important point. The, the last show I did, um, I remember I sneezed one night. Mm-hmm. In the middle of my scene, I sneezed. Mm-hmm. So I did what my character would do. I reacted to the fact that I'm trying to make a point. I'm in a conversation and I sneezed. Now, if I'm really trying to make a point, then I need to get back to my point. Mm -hmm. If it's a conversational moment where I can easily go, excuse me, Mm -hmm. 
mm -hmm. which is what I would do, and it felt okay for my character to do that, mm -hmm. well, then so be it. Um, yeah, to find those moments. If somebody in, this, in the audience suddenly distracts you, let that be become part of the show because the, somebody in the audience is going to be savvy enough to see that you just got your attention pulled to some place. Mm -hmm. Acknowledge that that just happened and move on. Yep. If you try to fight it or you try to pretend like you didn't just trip, mm -hmm. the audience will pick win. it up. Yeah, they know. The audience will know, uh oh. And all of a sudden, that becomes the scene. Right. And, <laughs> the and, actor's and distracted. If, and yeah. if instead you stayed in character with it, yeah. they will say that moment, that was so incredible. There was that moment where you tripped, and I felt like you really tripped. And mm -hmm. as the actor, you just sort of laugh and go, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I worked really hard on it. And I did work really hard right. on that. In that moment, I worked yeah. really hard to make that part yeah. of the character. And any director will tell you, hey, the audience, they don't know that you've made a mistake until you right. tell them. Right. Almost nobody is following along with the script or has it memorized. So mm -hmm. it's just you people on stage and you have to let that story stay alive. Right. Right. Exactly. We had mentioned last week, uh, I had made a phrase, there are no small roles, only small actors. And right. uh, you, yeah. was that something that you wanted to uh, to follow up on? I mean, it's a, it's a fairly... I think every teacher, pretty every acting teacher has probably told me and, I've and anyone. Yeah. I've heard it and heard it and heard it. What happened when I became a teaching artist, mm -hmm. the big challenge was, so I'm going to take every spring, I take a group of seventh graders and I put them through some show. In fact, the show I did, Hannah and the Dread Gazebo, mm -hmm. just performed last week and um, the night before we did our last podcast. And the show as written has maybe eight characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I was told I needed to shape the show so that I could use 12 characters, mm -hmm. 12 actors, 12 mm -hmm. kids. I needed to give something to do. Mm -hmm. And I had some ideas about how I could do some of that, but really pushing it as far as I could, I had 11. And then when we started talking about casting with the students, one of the students said to me that he wanted to be the assistant director. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay that sounds like a way of getting out of doing stuff if i make you assistant director i'm gonna make you work um but i'll i'll give you that and i then i said but you're also gonna be a bunch of small roles well it turns out he's also a yo-yo champ wow so for a bunch of our transitions where i needed something to help cover a transition i made him there were a couple of official scenes the father goes to talk to the officials about um Wants the officials to ask North Korea if they can go look for the grandmother's body, mm -hmm. and you know because she's jumped over the wall. Mm. Um, and so there are a couple of official scenes. I made him one of the people in the official scenes. He had a few lines because of that, but I made him that official who came out yo-yoing. Mm. Nobody else sees him, and then somebody else shows up, and he has to put the yo-yo away. Hell, wow, that's fantastic. So it was a fun little meet, beat. Yeah. Uh, so every year I'm <clears throat> required to find some way to mm -hmm. talk about what are the smaller roles. If somebody's doing a line count, line count and they're always those kids that want to do that line count, Yeah. what do you do with the small roles? Well, and I may have started to talk about it before. That was where I started to develop what I call status work. Mm -hmm. Every character in the universe, in the solar system of that play, mm -hmm. there's a relationship between all the characters. There's somebody who is that central character. Mm-hmm. The sun may be a sun, you know, the S-U-N, that central figure, that central force in the play 
Maybe something we only see briefly. Maybe the play is all about night and it's waiting on daybreak and we only see that character walk in at one moment. Mm. But they're the most important person. Mm-hmm. They're the sun. Yeah. Um, another way to look at it would be like the old system, the old way we used to think of the solar system, you know, Western culture, mm-hmm. um, where the Earth was seen as the center. Um, so that powerful sun is only another character in the solar system where the Earth is the center. Well, that would be your main character. Yeah. But who are these other characters? What are their relationships? How important are they? And what happens when the challenges of the play start to come into play? You have a character who only comes in one scene, but they are that important, like the sun. They're that important character. Yeah. You need an actor who can come in and be the most important person on stage. So that is not a small role, even though it may only be in one scene. That's a good point. That's an excellent point. I, I point to um, in Shakespeare. Shakespeare has a lot of times, and folks that want to dissect Shakespeare will say things like in the Scottish play, mm-hmm. um, the porter is there because it's an important moment. A lot of Shakespeare is using a lot of what was already established by like the Greeks and such in mm-hmm. terms of the dramatic development, the development of dramatic tension. Mm-hmm. Um, So a lot of action happens off stage, but somebody comes in and reports it to us. So the wonderful scene that happens right before the Porter scene Mm -hmm. is that Lady M and our guy Mac Mm -hmm. come in and they are discussing doing the murder. Right. And then they come in having done the murder, but Mm -hmm. the murder is all off stage. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you hear boom, boom, boom. Somebody's knocking at the door and they say, quick, we have to go get in our bed clothes. We have to wash off this blood, get in our bed clothes and pretend like we were asleep. Mm -hmm. And so you hear boom, 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 boom. The porter shows up. And the porter is the guy who's supposed to go open the door and he doesn't want to. They woke him out of a drunken stupor Mm. and he doesn't want to. So he wanders around and he's got this long monologue. That's a fairly comic monologue. Mm -hmm. As he tries to say, who could it be at the door? He says something like, "It's maybe it's the devil. And then he starts riffing on how that could be the devil and who it might be and what they might do and who else might be coming. And he finally says, I can't think of any more, but... uh, Remember the porter, he says, as he opens the door, and in comes Macduff. And so for a moment, for that moment, we are drawn out of the story of this murder that has happened. Yeah, yeah. And then we are suddenly dropped back in. In that time, subconsciously, the audience is elaborating in their minds what the murder is and what's happened and what's going on. And by giving, by the playwright giving that break... You allow, just like a good suspense movie Mm -hmm. or a good horror movie, a good one, Mm -hmm. lets that horror suspense build up without actually showing you the creature, showing you the evil, showing Mm -hmm. you that thing. Just lets your fear build. So it lets it percolate a little bit. That scene is there for just that reason. Mm -hmm. If you have a weak actor come out and do the porter, it's a waste of time. We're like, well, wait a minute. What happened with the murder? Instead, that person needs to draw you away from that for a moment, for Mm -hmm. a few minutes so that you get wrapped up in how crazy this person is mm-hmm. talking about all this weird stuff. Mm-hmm. And then when Macduff comes in, bam, we slam back into the world. Our brain has been bubbling this murder. And when Macduff comes in and then they find out about the murder, it has now grown for us in this huge way. That's a fantastic story. And it's a fantastic <clears throat> um, uh, um, example? example of an actor... And if you have a monologue, I mean, I would love, if someone cast me, it was like, listen, you have a minor role, but you have a monologue. Mm-hmm. Cool. Right. I would love that. As a matter of oh, fact, yeah. the first time I acted on stage here in the Bay Area was for EastEnders. Um, 
It was four monologues in three hotels. The play is called Three Hotels by oh, right. yes. John Robin Bates. I believe that's the uh, name. Mm-hmm. And I believe he wrote uh, the th- the th- four monologues as well. And I played a gay guy who um, I think my boyfriend is uh, died of AIDS and I'm angry and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, listen, this is like a monologue. This is like me showcasing myself. It has nothing to do with what everyone else is doing. Right. But this is my time. Let me just take the time that I have right now and, and do it. And as you were talking about um, that, there was a play that I was in. And actually, this goes back to high school. Uh, we did a musical called Working uh, by oh, right. Studs yes. Terkel, yes. which I love. It's a fantastic. I think any high school should really, really uh, do that because it, it's a it's. It's basically a, uh, a menagerie of different workers in different classes right. and people telling their stories. And I, I was so excited about the musical, but then I only had a singing role. I, had, mm-hmm. I didn't get an acting role. And I was pissed. I was like, hey, I'm in the theater department, for God's sake. Why can't I get an acting role? Right. And I went to um, the director, who was my acting teacher, and he, and he was like, listen – do the best you can with this singing role. This is an acting role. Mm-hmm. And if you poo-poo it, and it was also in Spanish, un mejor día vendrá. Oh, wow. <laughs> a better day will come. Mm-hmm. And uh, to this day, my dad is like, wow, that you really just blew me away with that song. Mm-hmm. And I was like, really? <laughs> yeah, people, th- people forget a smart writer is not just throwing superfluous characters onto the stage. Mm-hmm. They have some reason for it. Now, sometimes it's direct. I'm your little brother. I'm your boss. I'm whatever. Mm-hmm. And so you may be the main character, but I affect your character. And the more believable I am as a an obstacle, mm-hmm. um, the more we will relate to your struggle to get what you want. The weaker I am because, oh, I've just got one scene. Oh, I'm just this unimportant character. Then it's like, oh, that's annoying. And you almost could have cut the scene. You could have just got rid of it. Right. You know, if it's there, it's because the writer and the the example I gave was one of structure. Mm -hmm. The porter has nothing to do with anything. But by sticking him in there, it changes the pace of the story. Exactly. And it allows something else to happen with the audience. There's tension, release and tension. Because people listening to the porter, they're also who's who's behind the door. Right. You know, what's going on? Right, right, right. So um, the other example that I use, and it's another Shakespeare, is Romeo and Juliet. Mm -hmm. And I always say, and it's where I begin my status classes, um, who are the most important people in Romeo and Juliet? Typically people will say Romeo and Juliet. And I say, okay, fair. Let me rephrase the question. Who is the most powerful person in Romeo and Juliet? Romeo and Juliet are clearly not the most powerful people in this story. If they were, then I love you, I love you, we're done. <laughs> right. But there's all kinds of people in the way. Mm-hmm. And some of those people have power over them. Yeah. So if you're playing the prince, you don't prince. come in very often. Mm-hmm. But when you come in, you literally have the power of life and death. You can say, that person be put to death. That person is banished. Romeo gets banished. Mm-hmm. Those moments are important. So you can't take the prince and go, oh, it's not an important character. It doesn't really matter. I would never cast somebody in the prince who... I couldn't get to take that high status. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, and that yeah. actor better come in like, really, they should have renamed the story. The prince has mm-hmm. to deal with some yeah. stupid young people. <laughs> and, you know, you never I mean, we could be greedy and say, oh, I'm not going to take any role unless it's the biggest role. Of course, that's never going to happen. So what are you going to do in the meantime? There are a few actors that get to do that, but most of us don't. <laughs> right. Exactly. The vast majority of us don't. What do you do to hone your craft? 
until you get to that point where you can well, get to the big time. Well, those exciting relationships. Um, I did Charlie. And mm-hmm. I still get compliments on Charlie, and he's just the neighbor. That's the way I thought of it when I got cast. Mm-hmm. He's just the neighbor in Death of a Salesman. But he is a peer of Willie, the main character. Mm-hmm. He Willie comes to him in a way he doesn't go to anybody else, and in fact borrows money from him, mm-hmm. so is beholden, but in a way, again, that he can't deal with anybody else. I have to have a certain stature for this man to be able to do these things to me. So even though I'm in four scenes, Mm -hmm. and a couple of them are real quick, but they're there for a purpose. They're Mm -hmm. there to allow us to see another side of Willie. Mm -hmm. And that means I've got to be there with him. I can't, it would be like you were playing racquetball. I can't stand there and go, no, you're really going to win the game, so I'm just going to stand here and let the ball go by me. No, I have to give you a good game. Yeah, exactly. And as an actor, if I give you a good game, then I have this wonderful life on stage, so I get to do a good job of acting. I get to feel that. Mm -hmm. And it's so satisfying to have audience come up afterwards. Oh, no, I've said to more than one person, well, you know, so... I mean, I felt like I didn't have a big role. And they were like, no, but that role was so important. (laughs) That's fantastic. Well, I felt like it was important. Mm -hmm. I made it important um, so that I could get as much out of it as I could. Mm -hmm. But also because the playwright put that character there for a reason. Yeah. And if I don't know what that reason is, then it's my job to dig Mm -hmm. a little deeper and find out. Yep. When I uh, did well... I had a very, very brief role um, in Act Two as a as a drunk dude, and there's so much tension in the play because it's basically about a woman and her mother, mm-hmm. and they're going at it with right. each other, and they're basically arguing about the past. Do you remember the past? Do you remember this? And the mother's like, "No, it didn't happen that way," okay. and mm-hmm. it, it gets into a lot of conflict and. The tension needs to be broken. Right. And I had a lot of fun with it. I mean, I didn't just play the stereotypical drunkard. I mean, of course, I had a, um, I was flirting with, you know, the actress uh, uh, as uh-huh. as the character. And I made her laugh. And she needed to laugh. The character right. needed to laugh. Mm-hmm. character needed to have that release. And the, the my, my role at that, because I played multiple roles, but that role was really only that big. Mm-hmm. I think the scene lasted maybe a minute. But it was important because right. it's a release. So that's, yeah, that's the answer to that, you know. Mm -hmm. Small roles, yes, there are small roles. Yeah. But if you fill it out, people will remember you. Yeah, seize the moment. And people will enjoy the story because it's there for a purpose. And if you really fill it out, now you don't want to steal the scene. If the scene's not about you, don't try to make it about you. Mm -hmm. But if you you make the character, people would say, for my first entrance... um, that it felt like you had just come from next door, they would say. And it was funny because we were all on stage for the whole thing. So mm-hmm. I was on the periphery and I actually changed into costume right in front of the audience. Mm-hmm. But I would get up, take my time, take my coat off, put the hat down and then turn around, scratch my head like I had just gotten out of bed. Mm-hmm. And this man has woke me up and I you know, made my and I would mentally do that. I'm had to tell my wife it's okay I'll I'll go I'll go settle him down he's mm-hmm. just you know he's just out in the yard again mm-hmm. and you know I went through that little mental thing for myself but when I took my step into the scene mm-hmm. I was exiting my home and entering his yeah and so I did that every time I tried to find that moment. Mm-hmm. So people kept saying, yeah, when you stepped in, it was just amazing. It was like we felt like we'd <laughs> almost like we'd seen you walk across the yard. Yeah. And that's important. And that's another thing that uh, my teachers, and I'm sure your teachers have said, don't just come from off the stage. Right. Come from a place. Yeah. Know where you're coming from. Know mm-hmm. what that means. Mm-hmm. 
And so it was wonderful. It got to the point where I knew where in the scene, the previous scene, what was what it was that woke me up, mm-hmm. how I responded to the being woke. And I didn't go through any precise, precise like, must be this and this and this and this, because that's not what would happen in real life. Mm-hmm. But at a certain moment, I'm aware of something. At a certain moment, I decide to deal with it. I have to go through the time of getting dressed and getting ready and making my way. Mm-hmm. And then, bam, I'm suddenly stepping into the scene. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, so it was it was fun and exciting to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of the joys of being an older actor is a lot of times there are roles, what would might be called a small role mm-hmm. for these older actors. When you play the dad or the granddad in something, and the story's not all about that, mm-hmm. when you step in and you're the granddad, we all have images of what it means to be a granddad. And mm-hmm. the play probably has a little, at least a little bit of information about what is necessary other than what it tells you to do, you mm-hmm. get to bring everything else in. Yeah. So the way your grandfather, the way you would play a grandfather is different than the way I would play a grandfather. Yep. And the more true you make it to yourself, mm-hmm. as well as true to the script, the more people are going to remember you mm-hmm. doing that. And that's exciting. Yeah, exactly. They'll see their own grandfather or, you know, they they, they understand the hierarchy of, of presence, especially if you come in with the presence. Right. Um, so... Seize the stage, you know, even if you are on stage for a minute, two minutes, whatever it is, take advantage of it. Well, and then as a union actor, you're still getting paid. That's right. <laughs> you're getting your full contract, even that, if you were just on stage <clears throat> for two minutes. That is exactly right. If they wanted to do that, then uh, so be it. Mm-hmm. Did we have any um, shout outs or anything else? I, not because we're so quick after the last one. I'm, I, I don't <laughs> have one. I've got, I've got somebody, and so I've decided that with the... Um, where are they now? Mm-hmm. Then I just want to. I checked in with people for like one of the last ones I did, mm-hmm. and I decided I'll go ahead and just check in and say I can say how I think we met and what you know our connection is. But mm-hmm. I'd love to hear from you a little bit about that, and you know if there's anything you want to add into it. So I've got an inquiry out, and I'll save it for the next one. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, um, please hit us up on Facebook, and um, we're also on SoundCloud. And, uh, and iTunes, iTunes yeah. and iTunes. So please like us. And in fact, I had somebody say because I forgot to put iTunes on my Facebook post, uh-huh. and I went back and added it in, and yeah. she said, "Oh, yay!" <laughs> I, I said, uh, "I didn't know if she was being sarcastic or not." And I said, "Well, you know, some people like that." And she said, "Well, it's going to make it easier for me." I realized she was being serious. I was, yeah, she was serious about it. And I went, "Oh, okay." Oh, she heard about it. Yeah. Well, she. she it's it's my aunt. Okay, so well, hey, that, she saw the that, post that's great. And now she's listened to a couple of them and <laughs> oh, excellent. is looking forward to the next one. Oh, that's fantastic. I've gotten a lot of uh, feedback you know, from folks, and there are folks who want to be on. So one new thing that we're uh, doing, we're going to be bringing in guests. So we're not um, – you won't be here Friday. Right. But we have a uh, guest coming on. Uh, this is – hold on for a second – well, and then the other thing, the next thing that we were talking about mm-hmm. is, um, I it, it's funny, in terms of relating it to theater, I was thinking about promotion and self-promotion, mm-hmm. but then, you know, there's just so much that we're dealing with in the news right now around the way news is disseminated, the way a story gets passed on. Yeah, that's so, right. Did you want to do that one first? Ex- well, you, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll save this. No, okay. no, because we were talking about fake news, and I right. totally forgotten about that. But it's so, so important as of right now. I mean, yeah. we, have, we have North Korea. You heard about North Korea launching a missile or whatever.
whatever. And people are like, oh, my God. And I have no idea whether what's propaganda right. or what's a real threat. I tell myself, should I be worried? Well, no, I'll wait until a couple of other news sources tell me I need to be worried right. because we just don't know anymore. Right. We and we've been hearing this. We've been hearing exactly this for a long time now. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why and when Hannah and the Dread Gazebo was written, it was 2013. Mm-hmm. Kim Jong-il, Jong sorry. Yeah. Kim Jong-il had just died. And we didn't know what North Korea was going to do. And everybody was worried. Mm-hmm. Um, when uh, the war, remember the axis of evil, the war that eventually oh, took yeah. us into the war yeah. that we had to worry about these this axis of evil and yeah. North Korea was on the list and a bunch of people said why is North Korea on the list well W was just throwing everything in he wanted it, it was a propaganda and to be quite honest there's a propaganda thing going on right now with Syria yeah. you know Trump I keep on saying and one of the things about I'm glad you mentioned um, the Iraq war <clears throat> that was the axis of evil because mm-hmm. if you remember during the presidential campaign in 2004 he kept on bringing up that there was a coalition right. of people. We have the coalition, what was it, of the willing, yes. I think, that he talked yeah, about. And Kerry, John Kerry, the candidate, was saying, no, there's a lot of nations who really aren't for the war. Right. And, you know, Bush Most basically was like, France. no, 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 yeah. no, no. There's, we've got tons of people who are ready for it. But when you have a – when you to get Congress to vote on a war – Mm-hmm. You have to have a sort of a propaganda machine going on right. to say, hey, they're doing this, they're doing that. We've right. got to we've, we've got, got to come to in respond. and save the day. Yes. Yes. And we're seeing it right now with Syria. Yep. They're, they're, we're getting reports. I mean, we've always gotten reports, but now, you know, Trump is really pushing, oh, my God, Assad is doing this. He's doing that. He's right. doing this. Right. I guarantee you he wants a war. And I believe Trump, Trump wants to be uh, to have a war, to have America win it, and to say I was the president to win a war. Right, of course. Oh, yeah, every I mean, that's, every that's single Republican president. So, and the, and the issue really yeah. is the issue of fake news. There mm-hmm. are those sites that just are not reputable. There's that. Yeah. But the issue I think is is these things. This would not be a problem now if our news sources had already been working at um, maintaining some integrity. Mm-hmm. So when a press release gets put out and you report the press release because it's an you know it's like the White House says mm-hmm. this or you know Dow Chemical says this whoever says it mm-hmm. to report that some important person said something is fine um but it feels like news sources have only real late in this game gotten around to oh wait but we need to report what the real facts are what we know the facts to be right. and we need to report what is not substantiated mm-hmm. <clears throat> And report that there are reasons why somebody might be saying something that they can't verify. Right, exactly. Usually when you have a report, it's either something that has actually happened. Like if somebody got shot in front of my door, right. then that will be reported. It's not some a propaganda thing. Or And, and then the other thing is... Someone puts out a press release right. and the news, in the news, whether it be CNN or NBC or mm-hmm. whatever, will just report what has been said, right. whether it's been verified or not. Right. And, and that's the thing. Uh, and I understand that reporters, well, if we push this person too hard, then we'll we lose won't get contact. The, yeah, we'll, we'll lose, lose contact. Access. We won't have the interview and you right. know, they won't talk to us anymore. And we can't have that because we need to be um, – we need to be um, validated, right? And, and we, we'll lose our validation because we can't get interviews anymore, which is an unfortunate thing. There's no reason not to push, except that, like most famously, I.F. Stone was a reporter who said, "No, I'm not talking to those people. I want to see what's in the record." 
And that's where he did his reporting from. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know this, and the reason it connected to me with theater is when Oakland Public Theater started, I had to learn a lot of things like how do you get publicity out? Well, I'd Mm -hmm. already been doing it with the African American Shakespeare Company. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had to, now it's my company and I really got to push it. Mm -hmm. So at the African American Shakespeare Company, I was more likely to just make statements that were easily verified and. I'm not claiming that this is the greatest show ever mm-hmm. because, you know, because that's a hard thing. You know, sure. of course, everybody's going to say my show is the most important thing. It's out there right now. If you see one show right now, you should see my show. Sure. Sure. Well, suddenly it's my company and I'm like, well, I need to err in that direction. I need mm-hmm. I need the reviewers to go, well, wait a minute. Maybe we need to pay attention to this. Mm-hmm. And part of it is then I need to justify it. So why am I saying that? Mm-hmm. Well, I started writing these press releases. I started noticing that a lot of times my press releases were published. They as were pulling is. quotes from it and sometimes just publishing it as is. Mm-hmm. And I suddenly had to become very careful about what I wrote mm-hmm. because I was like, I don't want somebody coming back and saying this isn't true. Yeah. Um, but I still was putting in all the hyperbole about how great my show is and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was all just getting reported. And that was a shock to me. So when we get to find ourselves in this place, I'm like, well... To me, that's sloppy reporting. Mm-hmm. That you didn't exactly. at least it make is. a phone call and say, "Well, I want to just get your. Mm-hmm. I want you to tell me that those things that you <clears throat> said are true, mm-hmm. or where I can get information so I can verify what you said." Right. Yeah, it is laziness, and of course, the newspaper industry is. I feel bad for the folks in the newspaper industry or those reporters who are now uh, making that transition if they haven't already from print to the web. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's a hard business, and you can get stuck on assignments. I'm sure they're lazy enough to say, well, you know, okay, they want me to cover Oakland Public Theater. Right. Here's a press release. I don't have time for this. Let me just copy right. and paste. I'm not even going to call them. I'll just copy and paste. Right, exactly. Right. And if they get caught on it, you know, there have been a couple of individuals. Remember the black writer, I think, for the New York Times. Times. Yeah, I was just thinking of that. Yeah. Well, it's the reason that Donald Trump can say that the New York Times is fake news mm-hmm. is because we know that there are stories of writers who've worked hard to get that, mm-hmm. you know, that cherished position. They yeah. got into that. They got to the height of or they yeah. became the young person who finally got into that position of professionalism. Yeah. And now they've got to produce right. something. And so they got busted lying. Yeah. And that tarnishes the reputation of the paper. Yeah. And also, I think there was a woman in the Washington Post who had written about this crack baby and right. um, yeah. won a Pulitzer Prize. And of course, it was fake news. Right. So these things have been out there for a while. And how has media... Well, finally, we see media coming around and going, okay, I'm going to report what you said, mm-hmm. but I'm going to report it with what I know are the actual facts or with the information that is commonly held or commonly believed Mm -hmm. so that we put a context to what you're saying yeah, and let the reader decide. Have you seen the movie uh, Good Night and Good Luck? It was a while no, back. No, with uh, Mar- Murrow, right? That's right. It was the story of Edward R. Murrow. Yeah. I forget the um, – David Straith- Statham, Statham, I think, mm-hmm. was the actor who played uh, Murrow. And it was fantastic. Uh, it's um, – it's, it's the, these are the movies that I really, really love uh, mm-hmm. because I'm so much uh, – I'm a history Your buff. history, yeah. But uh, it talked really about – Edward R. Murrow, and he really was the beginning of investigative news, investigative journalism. Mm-hmm. That was the birth of that. Um, and, of course, his producer, uh, William Paley, 
basically says, listen, we're losing sponsorships. I know what you're doing. You're pushing McCarthyism and you're exposing the lies and the hypocrisy. But it's all about the money. So stop doing it. Right. And he he basically left. And I, I. I reminisce, you know, I was the type of individual that I loved reading the newspaper. I loved reading the Washington Post and the New York Times. And I remember the days where Walter Cronkite was the number one man. Right. You did not question anything. Or Huntley and Brinkley. Huh? Huntley and Brinkley. That's right. Huntley and Brinkley. All those guys. Uh, Frank Reynolds, uh, Matt Robinson, and and all those dudes. And we didn't question what they said because we trusted them. Uh, We trusted Mike Wallace. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, I think about Chris Wallace. Boy, has the apples fallen away from the tree. Oh. Uh, he, Chris Wallace is a reporter for Fox News, and mm-hmm. he's, um, what's that phrase? He's carrying their pail. Uh, um, uh-huh. But, you know, money has corrupted uh, the news organization. Yeah. where And they're in competition with with uh, YouTube and Facebook and all of that mm-hmm. stuff where right. Who can people get it just aren't first. paying attention. Yeah. yeah. But there's no excuse right. for just do it what you think people want to hear. Well, we'll have a pundit talk about the the. We'll have a left pundit. We'll right. have a right pundit. Right. We'll give a bunch of things that you want to hear. Just because a kid wants chocolate cake for breakfast doesn't right. mean you have to give it to him. You can right. clearly well, say the false dichotomy, which is the other phrase that has come mm-hmm. up. That you're saying, well, there has to be two sides to it. Mm, you need to report. That there's an imbalance in those two sides. If there's an imbalance, don't report them as if they are equally valid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to bring it back to theater, um, it means we're in an era where self-promotion couldn't be more important. Sure. Um, our friends are looking to us to hear what we're doing and what's going on. Mm-hmm. And how many times does somebody come to you and say, oh, I'm sorry I didn't know about your show. I wish I could have seen it. I wanted to. Yeah. And good promotion. If I'm... If I'm bored and I want to go to see good theater and I'm bombarded with all of my friends saying, oh, I want you to see the show, see the show. Tell me what the show's about. I mean, tell right. me, give me a, I don't know, a picture or whatever or show me something on Facebook mm-hmm. that really pulls my focus. Right. Um, if I know that a friend of mine is going to see a show, okay, I'll see it for a friend. Sure. But if I know that someone is doing a play, let's say Frost Nixon mm-hmm. or... Um, I don't know, just something, give me some substance. Give me something of what the play is about. Well, find, find that way to promote it because <clears> there are those plays where giving a little bit, bit of detail is helpful. But mm-hmm. I knew with Get Out, once I read about Get Out, yeah. I didn't want to read anything more. I went to see it. Uh, Keanu, the movie that uh, Key and Peele had done the year before, mm-hmm. oh, or it was released the year before, mm-hmm. I was so, I was like, why did y'all even name that Keanu? Come on. I, I just, as a policy, do not want to see anything connected to anybody named Keanu. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, it was the kit, name of the kitten mm-hmm. in the movie. I'm not giving anything away. Yeah. Um, and it is classic. It is such, it is a full length them. It mm-hmm. is them in a full length movie. They do what they do so well in their show. Mm-hmm. They string it along beautifully. It's it's a wonderful movie. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to read about it because I'm like, I trust these guys on their reputation. That's something I would like to see more in Bay Area theater. Yeah. If you tell me Stacy Ross is in a show, maybe I'm just going to go see <clears> that <throat> show because I know Stacy Ross is worth watching on stage. Yeah. And I feel the same. Uh, there's a friend of mine, Scott Munson, who is a playwright. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You know Scott? Yeah. yeah. I will see whatever he, he's got going. Scott Munson, as a matter of fact, uh, he, I think he's going to be on the show. We're, we're going to bring in some guests 
uh, and later shows. But Mm -hmm. he is famous for taking a classical piece or a piece written in, let's say, the 19th century Uh and writing an update for it, writing a contemporary. He did Charlie's Aunt 66, (laughs) taking a classic Charlie's Aunt written in the 19th century and putting it in 1966. Sure. And it was fantastic. It was uh, done at the Douglas Morrison Theater. Oh, nice. Um, But yeah, if if you know what you have and you know why it's relevant. Um, I just I just feel like um there's a way where and I say this when I think of things like uh, the share economy as they as they like to call it mm-hmm. um that we are in a bit of the wild wild west it's another period where yeah. the laws and regulations and the cultural norms have not been established yet. Right. And everything is in flux. Mm-hmm. It's the perfect time to take advantage of that and yeah. to put yourself out there. It's like a digital homestead act, you know. Uh, the yeah, home, yeah, yeah. Where you know Lincoln, I think it was Lincoln who basically says, "Listen, we've got all this area in the West Coast. Just go. Just get out there. Just get out there." And the digital age—that's what it is. That's why we do a podcast, right? And it's a perfect opportunity to be doing this. Um, I think of movies like a Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's so funny because by the time it even became a cult thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the actors who had been at it had, you know, their careers had just risen. Mm-hmm. And when they did it, probably nobody was giving them much attention. Yeah. But they were like, here's an opportunity. Let me get out there and let me do it. And they were just having fun. So in those moments where mm-hmm. things are not set, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's the perfect time. Because like I said, people are friends. Mm-hmm. The people that we know, the people that we're connected with, yeah. um, want to know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And want to know what's out there. Or they want to know, oh, you're going to go see that show? Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll go with you. Yeah. That last reading that I went to, the mm-hmm. um, Apocalypse Now or Later, mm-hmm. um, which Richard Talavera was in, uh, Jeannie Baroga, the playwright, mm-hmm. doesn't live far away. And I said, hey, I'm going to be over on your side. It's going to be up in Marin. Um, do you want to go see it with me? Mm-hmm. And so we went. We both went up to Mill Valley and we got to see the reading. Mm-hmm. And I think it made her feel good to get out. I think it made her feel good about where she's at with her work. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely had a good time having some company. Mm-hmm. And there are people, I have a friend who tells me basically, don't invite me to come to your shows unless you think it's going to be <laughs> really good mm-hmm. and something I like. It has mm-hmm. to be both those things. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I'm more of a gambler. I'm going to come out and see your show because I'm curious to see what happens. Yeah. I may not know anything about it. I want to do that. Mm-hmm. So at this point, I'm just erring on the side of I'll let everybody know. Mm-hmm. And you can decide if you want to call me or send me a message and say, but is this worth my time? I might say to you, well, Ridge, this one, mm-hmm. you might want to sit this one out. I know it's not your cup of tea. You might. Not. It's all in verse. <laughs> I know how much you hate that. I, I'm not going to invite you to that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's funny because I think about all of the shows that I've been involved in, both as an actor and as a stage manager. And there have been some pretty wild shows. There was one show. We were, uh, we were talking about the Higgs Bossom. We were talking about mm. uh, when we were off when we were not recording, sure. there, was a sh- there was a show that I was involved in, um, Lifetimes 3, which is basically about this um, scientist who's trying to publish his paper, but he's in competition with another guy. And it's sort of a comedy. It's sort of like a dark comedy. Mm-hmm. And also, he and his wife are arguing about how to take care of a child who's screaming in the background. Okay. The child who has never seen mm-hmm. is a prominent character because sure. his presence is just everywhere and he's disrupting the... The, uh, the little party that they're having and all sorts of stuff. Mm. But it's an abstract play. I sure. mean, um, we one of the transitions that we did were the actors pre- pretended to be 
elements of space. Oh, okay. Uh, as as the Higginbotham, some of the actors got it, some of the actors didn't quite get it. Mm-hmm. But um, talking about, you know, you had mentioned, well, maybe some folks won't like that, or some folks will like that. Yeah. One of the cool things about theater is something very different from what we see in the movies. In the movies, you know what you're getting. You're mm-hmm. either getting a sequel, mm-hmm. or you're getting, you know, some action-packed comedy or some Marvel movie thing. Mm-hmm. But in theater. There's always something sporadic. There's always something um, abstract. I mean, even in, in the basic plays, someone's going to do something that will well, shock these you. Days, these days. Because yeah. um, unless you're going to do a museum piece where you're trying to do this, you know, um, this homage to this play from its era or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you want to make it relevant to a contemporary audience. Even with historical pieces, mm-hmm. there are ways that you can take advantage of the way an audience views now, or the way a contemporary audience views a piece, mm-hmm. and help them to better appreciate the play. So to not take advantage of those contemporary styles or um, just structures. Mm-hmm. you know, um, The one I talk about a lot when I'm working in acting classes is the jump cut, which is a big thing in film. We all know when you show us the exterior of a house, and the next thing you do, you show us people. T- you we might hear voiceover of people talking. We mm-hmm. see the exterior of the house, and the next scene is people standing in the living room talking. Yeah, yeah. we didn't need to see them walk in. We didn't need to walk in. We just go from the one image to the other. Mm-hmm. This is you know classic now in mm-hmm. film, but there was a time when that didn't happen. In stage, we're finding ways to use that sort of stuff because our audiences are savvy enough. They've already been trained in Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. So we can throw that in. Mm -hmm. Um, The example I gave kids, I just did a bunch of presentations last week Mm -hmm. uh, for the summer program I'm going to do. And I said, if I'm in the middle of talking and suddenly I interrupt myself because it looks like something something jolted in my pocket and Mm -hmm. I reach in and pull it out. And then I tap it and I put it away. Mm-hmm. And I say, so what What did I just do? What activity did I just do? And everybody says, well, you know, you just, you answered a phone. I'm like, right. And 20 years ago, that would have meant nothing to an audience. Mm-hmm. But now we all understand that we all see it. Yep. So even if I'm doing an old play and I want to have a quick moment of a phone call, mm-hmm. rather than going for the old-fashioned phone, maybe I do it with that modern convention. Sure. sure. And we understand it. Mm-hmm. It's crazy mm-hmm. not to take advantage of those things and to let your audience kind of in on the savvy moment of, yes, as a modern person, mm-hmm. we know these things. 200 years ago, they wouldn't have known that. But it makes the moment move forward and it, it works. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think getting back to the uh, the news and promoting yourself, mm-hmm. a lot of people are afraid. A lot of people, you know, they, they look at the Internet and, and Facebook or whatever and they're like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this thing, but I just don't know how to... Um, promote. I, I think you just have to do it. I mean, even mm-hmm. if you're working on uh, whatever it may be, like uh, the, the musical cafe. I mean, these right. are budding playwrights. These are budding musicals, and right. uh, but they're putting it out there. And they're not saying, "Well, people don't want to see this." So well, and realize that something like I loved um, when Obama mm-hmm. um, brought um, what's his name, um, Lin Manuel, mm-hmm. um, to back to the White House after Hamilton had become a big hit, mm-hmm. and he said, "People don't know, but I had this young man here." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and he stopped to talk about mm-hmm. how he had come and done some of the pieces that eventually became Hamilton. Uh-huh. He had had a moment where he got to connect with Obama about that. When you're doing something that's new, yeah, 
And there's an audience for seeing, wow, this is the beginning of the spark, the beginning of this idea. Mm-hmm. Anybody who got to see Hamilton before it became a $200, now $800 ticket, mm-hmm. has got to be able to pat themselves on the back and exactly. go, wow, I really am a theater guy. <laughs> you think this is special. I saw, I saw it, it six when. years ago. I saw it mm-hmm. eight years ago. And that's the magic of theater. Someone is creating something right now mm-hmm. and is going to produce it right now, probably just putting money out of their own pocket. It may be at the Eureka Theater. It may be at the Phoenix. Or it right. may be at the Portrero Hill right. Theater where they're working on, you know, budding plays right now. It could be anywhere. You know, the uh, the off-off community theater show right now, right. 10 years from now, or five or two, right. could be the next big thing. Well, things like, um, I think Little Shop of Horrors was one of those that was just way off, off, off Broadway, mm-hmm. and then built up, built up, built up. Yeah. There have been shows that have been off, off Broadway, toured the country, mm-hmm. and then suddenly came back and got up. Yeah. Got up for the big show. Right, right, exactly. You know, it's it's going to happen. The only thing I'd say about self-promotion, if you're worried, mm-hmm. is you don't want to oversell your show and you don't want to lie. Mm-hmm. Don't say it's the greatest show ever, ever, ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if you can't substantiate that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, you know, there's only one Star Wars. Yeah. And it has spawned a whole <clears throat> mm-hmm. system and um, a franchise and all that. Yeah. But that first movie, the reason it did is because that first movie had such an impact. Exactly. So if you truly believe that you were in a show like mm-hmm. that, then then why be ashamed to say it? Yeah. But otherwise, if you're just saying, like I did Death of a Salesman, Death of a Salesman has been around for decades. Mm-hmm. There have been hundreds of productions. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, I think our group here locally is doing one that I think is going to be meaningful for a local audience. Mm-hmm. And you should come out and see it. Well, the people who came out and see it agree. They say that. I that I don't push that at people. Now mm-hmm. the show's done. Yeah. People say to me, no, it was just... <clears throat> and to say, um, like, um, somebody told me there was a group of little old ladies mm-hmm. who like to go to theater. Mm-hmm. They heard about it and their group went. And she said, she didn't come back and say that theater was cold or it was in a weird, scary part of town that we didn't want to go to. Mm-hmm. She said that was one of the best productions that she's ever seen and the most meaningful production she'd ever seen of Death of a Salesman. Yeah. Now... It would be a shame that if I didn't promote the show, when I was telling people about mm-hmm. the show, I was saying, wow, I'm doing this show. And it's just amazing to me what we're doing. I think it's really going to be mm-hmm. a big deal. Yeah. And yeah, you should say that about your show. And you mm-hmm. should tell people, even if you can't say anything more than I'm having a lot of fun and the people that I'm working with mm-hmm. are exactly. really amazing. So. You should come out and see it for that reason. Mm-hmm. There's always some reason, and that's what I learned producing, was there's always some reason that people should come see the show. It's a world premiere. Nobody's ever seen this before. Come mm-hmm. see it. Or it's a chance for us to bring to the Bay Area something that maybe hasn't been seen in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Or it's something that hasn't been done in 20 years mm-hmm. in the Bay Area, and we're going to do it. Or, from my perspective, it, we're going to take this play that people don't think of as a black play, mm-hmm. and... We didn't change anything about it, but we think when you see it with our black cast, mm-hmm. you're going to get something from the play that you never saw before. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, you that, did that uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia me. Wolf, and yeah. you did it with an all-black cast. Sure, that's going to be a little bit different. That black professor who mm-hmm. is a black, you know, that professor who is a black man mm-hmm. struggling to maintain his position mm-hmm. in the in the university is a different guy mm-hmm. than the Richard Burton. 
exactly. guy that we all know yeah. from the films. And we we talked about Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, the female, the cast. female, cast. and of course that's going to be and that's completely different. And that is the sort of thing that is going to make me go, ooh, I might need to go see that. Yeah, exactly. So there there are reasons, there are all kinds of ways to approach the self promotion thing, mm-hmm. and to give those folks who are up for going out and seeing something maybe a little unusual mm-hmm. or unique mm-hmm. or just locally based in a way that feels like we can own it. I want to, I'm very proud to live in Oakland. Mm-hmm. So if you tell me this is something that's going to show Oakland or show some story about Oakland, mm-hmm. give Oakland a face that nobody has seen before. I'm going to be curious. I'm going to be curious to come out and see it. Yeah, exactly. I just thought of something. Um, so when I auditioned for Civil War Christmas, the director is looking for, I'm putting this out here on the yeah, podcast, please. they're looking for a black girl uh, around 10 years old or who can mm-hmm. play 10 years old. Mm-hmm. I think she may need to sing as well. So if you, if there's anyone out there who has a, um, who knows or has a young black girl, mm-hmm. um, hit me up uh, on Facebook and uh, let me know, and I'll, con- I'll well, get you in contact. East Bay too, especially because exactly. if it's going to be in Lafayette, right? Oh uh, yes. So the it'll town be hall. through the it'll be through the tunnel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. So uh, if if there's anyone out there who has a young girl and she wants to uh, get on stage, uh, let me know, and I'll get you in contact with uh, Susan Evans, who is the artistic director at the town hall. Do you know of anyone? Any young girls? Not young girls. Okay. No. No. It's funny, no, and and I'm hoping. So I'm uh, just started today this program, uh, each one reach one. Mm-hmm. We we do playwriting. Uh, we're doing it at a facility down in San Mateo. Usually we do it. We're in juvenile detention. Mm-hmm. This time we're out. Um, another organization has asked us to come out, so mm-hmm. we're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, not not very young folk though. Okay, okay. And then uh, the last thing I think I talked about in the last podcast is mm-hmm. I'm going in where there are a lot of second graders. Mm-hmm. In fact, I've got one. I gotta check. It might be tomorrow. I need to call this guy tonight if it <laughs> is um, to um, to go and do another uh, last class visit with this one teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're the right age. They're almost the right age. They're actually a little long. They're like nine years old. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, they're not theater. Yeah, this is something where somebody is ready, a kid who's ready to do it, a parent who's ready to support them yeah. doing it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I just basically put that out no, there. No, it's great to put it out. Yeah. That's, that's, so you had shout out. I had a shout out. Uh, well, so since uh, we're gonna we're gonna do a show on Friday, and uh, we'll have a special guest. Um, this will be Jerome Joseph Gintes. Um He is not only the um, the producer of the musical cafe which uh, will be pre- uh, going up on the 20th the 22nd and the 23rd but he is also a playwright and he has a play uh up at the uh Potrero stage uh-huh. uh best of playground 21 uh they're doing there are six playwriters on a short fuse that's the uh, promo that they have mm-hmm. um so so these are basically six budding uh, playwrights putting their plays up mm-hmm. uh, at the, um, the Best Playground 21 at the Protrero stage. You had mentioned uh, in the earlier podcast that it used to be the Thick House, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, this is on uh, 18th, I believe. 1695 18th Street yes. in San Francisco. And uh, yeah, it, for almost 20 years, I think, was mm-hmm. the... Uh, 
Uh, yeah, I remember. The big fact, house. And I, so yeah. now, now it's called the Patero stage. They wanted people to be able to more quickly make an association with where this is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I remember that was the first time I mentioned uh, that I did my first uh, my first time on stage in the Bay Area was at the Thick House. Was it Thick House? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Four monologues and three hotels. Yeah. And for folks that know the Thick House and the fo- and the companies that have been associated with it in recent years, Golden Thread, mm-hmm. um, Crowded Fire, those folks are still in residence. So, Is Crowded Fire there? Because they used to be at the, uh, the Phoenix. So, now, And I'm sorry, the Exit. But right, now no, they're, there. they're they're there, or at least um, they do some they do some stuff there. Just so it's cool. a bunch of folks that are kind of yeah. you know getting in when they can. Nice, um, but yeah, the energy is still there. Now playground mm-hmm. is also in residence there at least yeah. a couple times a year, and it's um it's a dynamic space that has always been a cutting edge. Uh, and it's funny because the kinds of work that I've done there, I've done a lot of work there, and the mm-hmm. kinds of work that I've seen there mm-hmm. um, often. It's for that person who wants to see that edgy piece of theater that has a, a strong sense of professionalism. This mm-hmm. is folks really aiming to make, create something new, to, yeah. to challenge you. Because I, I say this when I talk to young folks that nece- aren't necessarily theater people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, historically, before TV, before movies, mm-hmm. um, this is the way they used to do it. Well, yep. why do we keep doing it? Because there are things that you cannot make live in the same way mm-hmm. on film that you can make live live. And so there are theater companies that are dedicated to finding new ways to make that live experience, mm-hmm. to keep that working, to keep that relevant, to keep that fresh. Yeah. And so these are, exci- you know, these are the sorts of venues that um, host these kinds of pieces. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. Like I think about the circus. The circus is sort of a dying thing. I don't even know really why is. people. <laughs> yeah. Well, the animals are mostly gone now. Right. Right. Exactly. And so that and uh, they're just they're theater is one of those last. I guess it was created in. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, it's been around since Dionysus, since the ancient Greeks. Since yeah. the ancient Greeks. But I think it's still relevant because how many times do we see things other than sport eating events live? Right. I mean, we see live concerts, but really. You know, you see Beyonce and you may be, I don't know, a quarter of a up mile away, <laughs> up in the nosebleed yeah. seats or whatever. But to see live stage, I mean, to see um, Especially actors. in an intimate venue. Oh, exactly. Man. You know, a wonderful black box. I think I like the black box theater a lot more mm-hmm. than the standard proscenium stage, where it's almost like you're in high school again. <laughs> and you're looking up to, you know, the well, actors. You, you have to pick your place for it. Right. And so I like as a director, I love when I get the opportunity to work on a proscenium mm-hmm. because it's a, it's a specific way of creating a show. Yeah. And it's very different than when you, and it's so funny how many times now people want to break out of the proscenium. Mm-hmm. I would love to get a show where I could just keep it in the proscenium mm-hmm. and work within that limitation. I find limitation is creatively freeing because mm-hmm. you say I, I can't do this and I can't do that so what's left yeah what can I do with what's left and it's exciting mm-hmm. yeah one a good proscenium stage especially if the uh, the audience can really see everything right um, that's fantastic and you know the black box is fantastic as well yeah well the black boxes you can you can see them sweat you can see a bead <laughs> of sweat on the actor it's, 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 it's very it's very very intimate and uh, so I'm really used to that I think I've acted in more black box than I have prosceniums so in any case, uh, Jerome, he's going to be on Friday, and he'll talk about his play and also about the Musical Cafe. And um, right. I figured it'd be a way for us to sort of spice up 
uh, the yay to bring on people. You know, we talk about these people in our lives, Mm -hmm. the actors and directors and people who are involved in theater. Right. I figure if we have them come in and tell them about what's happening with them, that um, it'll sort of uh, spray things up. So I'm I'm sort of excited. Keep the conversation Fresh and relevant. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, I want to rem- put a reminder out there that uh, Elizabeth Carter is in uh, The Seagull mm-hmm. at the Omni Commons, and that's here in Oakland. Um, Omni Commons. Mm-hmm. And I uh, believe the theater company is the Utopia Theater Company. Um, and yeah, and I have a piece that'll be going up, I'm directing, that'll be going up uh, Sunday at 2 p.m. at the Petrero Stage. Oh, nice! Yeah. Um, so, what what piece is that? Oh, okay. Well, you will find out <laughs> yeah. if you want to find out. Come and come and come and see it. <laughs> and uh, when is it, uh, when yes. is it again? Uh, that'll be just. It'll be uh, this Sunday at two p.m. Nice, the twenty-first. Okay, and then we'll do it again the following. So these are pieces. These are new pieces that are being workshopped. So this will be a very raw piece, mm-hmm. and then we'll have a second reading of it on the twenty-eighth. The 21st and the 28th. Yeah, so that's me. Cool. Um, yeah, that's that's what's going on on this end. Yep. And I will plug my show um, one last time. It will be, um, that's the Musical Cafe, and that will be, uh, once again, at the Ashby Stage. That's this Saturday, and it's only three days, Saturday, Monday, and Tuesday. Uh, Saturday's a matinee at 3, Monday at 7.30, Monday and Tuesday at 7.30. Hopefully there are no uh, Warriors games uh, going on and yeah you that's why you have TiVo right <laughs> <laughs> and um, with that is that it I think, that that's, it I think that's what we've got for, for this right. one well hey there you go and uh, enjoy uh, now so you're not you're not going away you are going away right? I'm going down to LA cool. so I'll be gone Friday night Saturday night and then I'll get back in time for the reading on Sunday so I'll, right. I'll be back nice um, yeah and hopefully my actors will <laughs> <laughs> they will be, be off book and ready to roll. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, oh. it won't be off book. It'll be stage in hand because it's a new <laughs> script. Oh, okay, so cool. It's, it's actually a script that's being developed. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, I think that's it. I, I just, uh, the other thing I, I find worth mentioning, worth mm-hmm. um, just reminding people, um, it's fascinating to have two black guys that are having a conversation. We're not talking about... We're not talking about music, though it <laughs> right. does come up from time to time. Yeah. We're not talking about sports very right, much. Right. Um, we're not talking about the streets. Yeah. And that hard life. <laughs> you know. Um, right. Exactly. It's it's kind of fascinating <coughs> to me that we get this opportunity. So we hope you like it, and we hope um, that you'll actually, you know, give us some feedback about some things that you particularly like, or some things you'd like to hear more about. Because we're definitely sharing our life. And so I love our tagline. I love that, you know, that we get to talk about theater, but we also get to talk about how it impacts our life. As mm-hmm. much as we enjoy seeing what's on stage and talking about what's on stage, mm-hmm. the, to talk about how it is reflected and reflects what we're seeing in life. Yeah, and I think both of us, we've been involved. I mean, theater's almost taken up half of at least my life and I think more than, more, that, yeah. more than half of your life. Yeah. And... To grow almost on stage yeah. is a wonderful thing because I think theater really changes you. Every time I get on stage and I put in, I put put myself in the shoes of someone else, mm-hmm. I'm no longer really the same person because right. I incorporate an embodiment of 
whoever I portrayed or, you know, whatever right, right. experience. I keep, I, oh, that's that's one other I could mention. This is in L.A., though. So mm-hmm. this is for folks in L.A. Yeah. Um, the show I did last summer, Emmett and Ava, it's mm-hmm. by Dominic Hoffman. Hmm. And I think I did, I actually posted it on my Facebook page. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll post it again. Um, they He's got a production this weekend. Um, you know, they're putting up another production of it. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful piece. Um, I got to play a grieving father, my adult son, has just been in a car crash. So that's the title characters are Emmett and Ava, and they've mm-hmm. just been in a car crash. Mm-hmm. And I go to meet her parents who don't know that their daughter has been dating a black man. You told me about this. Yeah, they mm-hmm. all they know is that they died in the car crash together and that he was some friend or something. They, mm-hmm. don't, they don't really know anything. So the conversation, and it was interesting when we did the play last year, mm-hmm. as... All those shootings were happening when Dallas happened and all these things around, um, you know, unarmed black men mostly, but folks being shot um, by cops Mm -hmm. and not the cops not being held accountable. And then the shootings happened in Dallas um, in the midst of a Black Lives Matter. That's right. Protest. So, you know, it just got mixed and horrible and people were on edge. Mm -hmm. And suddenly here this here was this play that didn't address any of that directly. Mm -hmm. But when you bring this man into these people's home Mm -hmm. and they have to try and have a conversation about their children, Mm -hmm. um, it just went some places that were really exciting. Um, It was it was fascinating to be in the show and to have different audience, hear different audience responses. There were many nights where we heard sniffles mm. for maybe like the last half hour or mm. so of the show. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you could just hear sobbing out mm. there. It was amazing mm-hmm. because these characters, because they're strangers to each other, there's only so much that they want to reveal to each other. Yeah. And it was it was it was exciting piece. So I'm glad to hear that it's gotten up again mm-hmm. and is getting some more attention. Uh, Dominic is a fantastic, he himself is a fantastic actor and a wonderful director. Mm -hmm. And this beautifully sublime writer, Mm -hmm. there's a way where he can talk about something or talk around something in a way that Mm -hmm. gives you the shape of it without just beating you up, I thought. I hope I'm not misremembering this, but I remember you were telling me that you had a role where you had to tell, it's, it's like your son was dating... Um, maybe this is a different play, was mm-hmm. dating uh, a woman of a different race. And I think they died or something like that, and you had to connect with their parents. This is that play. Okay, uh, I'm glad I, I didn't, didn't misremember that. What, okay. what I'm, I think when we talked about it before, what I was talking about, has it's what, you know, and all this came to mind because of what you were just saying, how mm-hmm. you carry these characters around with you. I don't have an adult son, mm-hmm. um, but I have like an adult nephew who I feel really bonded with. I have a young friend here in Oakland who just turned 21, and I've known him since he was four. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to think about that and how that would come in. And then I could think about my relationship with my father, which you know I look forward to. We've got a month, but Father's Day That's is coming right, up. Father's I'm looking Day, forward yeah. to that conversation. Yeah. Because um, my son in the play is an artist. He's mm-hmm. a photographer. Mm-hmm. And I really, as the dad, I would say, I don't really understand everything that he was doing, mm-hmm. but he's my son. Right. And it was important for me to let him know that I supported him in whatever he was doing. And I thought it's easy to say those words. Yeah. But when you think about what it really means, because mm-hmm. what you're really saying is, I'm not on the same page with you. Right. We may not agree about all this right but somehow i'm gonna let that love transcend it that's not just an easy 
hypothetical. Right. That's a visceral, there's mm-hmm. some visceral meat in that that allowed me every night to have those awkward moments of tonight I'm in that awkward place with my son. Tonight I'm in that loving, protective place with my son. Right. Um, and all of it is in with the backdrop of he's dead. So I may be grappling with these feelings now, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to get to express them to him or hear what he yeah. has to say. And you're also dealing with the other parents, the uh, the, the right. uh, girlfriend's parents, right? All and of how this they in, deal with it, right? All of this in front of them, mm-hmm. these strangers. Yeah. How much am I going to reveal of myself, even though I'm having these feelings come up? Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful place. So, yeah. LA, you're getting a treat. Mm-hmm. Emmett, and Ava. Emmett and Ava. Yeah.